Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul asked the question, quote, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? We live in a world today where most people do not want to hear the biblical truth about Jesus Christ. They believe it to be intolerant that Jesus is the only way to have our sins forgiven, the only way to avoid eternal hell, and the only way to go to heaven when we die. Do you have a lifestyle of speaking the truth about Jesus Christ? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 4 and look at this incredible privilege we have to speak the truth about Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus like we say every teaching. Um, you know, it's it's just really it, it's it's really the most productive time in our lives. It's the most beneficial time in our lives when we're spending time with Jesus, spending time in our Bible, spending time in prayer and thanksgiving, spending time in praise and worship, spending time in community with other believers who growing to know Jesus, growing to love him and above all growing to obey him in, in every aspect of our lives and, and growing to repent where we fall short. You know, I've said this before that, you know, repentance is one of the greatest tools the Lord has given us. And, and it's a joy to repent. We're not joyful that we're sinful, but you know, it's it's exciting when, you know, when you grow in relationship with Jesus and he shows you things that are that are out of line in your life and he's not condemning you, but the spirit of God is convicting you and you simply repent and you look to put it in order and you pray and you ask him to help you. And it's it's something that I practice daily, really, for the most part, sometimes multiple times a day. I mean, there'll just be there'll be times and thought processes and just uh, different encounters, different conversations that that I'll just notice where I could, where I saw just you know things in me that weren't as good as they ought to be. And, and generally, it might have been in my heart or in my thoughts, but sometimes it is in my words. Right? Sometimes I'll just see certain a uh, certain selfishness in myself, and I really, you know, I want to grow and mature to where that's less and less. And so, begin to walk in the freedom of daily repentance. Again, keeping in mind, this has nothing to do with going to heaven. This doesn't help you to get saved. Um, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, right? Okay, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, today we're going to do Galatians 4. Um, uh, we're going to begin in chapter 1, and uh, hopefully I'll get through around verse 16. So, Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we have this Bible, Father. We thank you that we have the living word of God to feed us and nourish us, Lord, to convict us, Lord, to encourage us, to exhort us, Lord. We thank you that we have our Bible. Mm. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive 
and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. We ask you now to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We ask you to open our heart to the scriptures, to the word of God now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Galatians 4, verses 1 to 16. Paul speaking. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Look at that last verse, verse 16, Galatians 4. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Um, you recall, again, that Paul is dealing here in the Galatian churches with these, these Christians who were coming in and claiming to be super Christians with special revelation. And they were Jewish Christians who were claiming that Jesus Christ was not enough for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul and to bring you to heaven. You needed to have Jesus, but you also needed to follow all the Jewish laws and commandments and dietary rules. Um, you needed to be circumcised. And so you basically needed to become Jewish, follow all the Jewish laws and traditions and believe in Jesus. And by saying this, they're clearly saying that Jesus himself is not enough. They were saying it's about believing in Jesus, but then you having to, to add to what Jesus has done. Paul obviously is vehemently defending this now. He's going to do it in these two full chapters, right? Long chapters in um, you know Galatians 3 and Galatians 4, um, which are, I believe, what, 31 verses and 29 verses? Yeah, 29 verses in uh, chapter 3. And uh, 
yeah, 31 verses in chapter four. So 60 verses. And he's just going to give example of example and example and teach just so skillfully. Paul's going to lay out how, you know, our salvation comes from trusting in Jesus alone. Um, there's nothing we add to that. It's not Jesus and our good life. It's not Jesus and us, you know, following a certain set of rules. It's, it's you know, it's us humbling ourselves, acknowledging our sinfulness, our hopelessness, our helplessness, and receiving Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Are you currently trusting in him and relying on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Um, you know, if you're not sure, right? You know, it's we all have doubts, right? Um, you know, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us, right? But in faith, we use our words to, to call out to Jesus, right? We simply use our words to express our heart to Jesus. So again, if you're not sure that you're a Christian today, if you say, you know, if you would say, listen, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know if I'm trusting in him. I don't know if I'm relying on him. Well, search your heart. Are you, are you, do you think that because of your own good life, because of anything you've done, do you think that's going to help you to go to heaven? Because if you do, then you're not trusting in Jesus alone. You're also trusting in something else, someone else, in this case, yourself. And that's not a Christian. A genuine Christian, again, is someone who understands their sinfulness, their hopelessness, their utter helplessness. That without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. And that from that place of humility, right, you go before Jesus and you simply call out to him and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I confess that I am a sinful person. And Lord Jesus, I know that I'm hopeless. I know I'm hope, uh, helpless. And Lord, I know that I'm desperate. Lord Jesus, but I believe you are the son of God. And I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and, and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you that's how you become a Christian. Now again, a Christian again is simply someone who's who believes Jesus is the son of God and is trusting and relying and has full confidence in him alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their souls. So again, if you're not sure, back up the tape, use the words I used. Again, the Lord is not concerned as much with your words by any means. He's concerned with the genuineness and sincerity of your heart. So again, if you're not sure, you know, back up the tape, go ahead and use the words I used and, and give your life to Jesus Christ today. And as Paul says in this chapter, God, the father will become your, your heavenly father. And you'll begin this intimate relationship with God, the father, God, the son, Jesus, and God, the Holy spirit, the triune God. But Paul says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? 
you know, it's our job as ministers and it's our job as, as really all Christians to continually speak the truth about who Jesus is, right? But we live in a world where people don't want to hear that. We live in a world where, where, where the majority of people find it intolerant when you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way to have any relationship with the triune God, the only way to avoid eternal hell, and the only way to go to heaven when you die. Um, they find that intolerant. They find it unloving. But that is the plain, unambiguous teaching of the scriptures. The scriptures plainly teach, Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's holy standard, right? Jesus out of his own mouth in John 14.6, his own words, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, okay? And so when we, when we tell the truth about who Jesus is and why we need him and how he is our only hope, we're actually being as loving as we can possibly be because the soul of the entire world, of every human being in the world, the soul of each man or woman, the, of the 8 billion people in the world is in jeopardy of perishing in eternal hell. So, you know, we're not people's enemies by telling them the truth. And so that's our job as Christians and as Christian ministers. I mean, we, get this, this, we make our living doing this. We have to stand on the truth of the word of God. Whether people like it or not, we obviously want to teach the truth in love and speak the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 says. But, but you know, we're actually enemies when we don't tell the truth about who Jesus is and what the Bible says. And so Paul says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Again, we can't help people to know Jesus or walk with Jesus if we won't tell them the truth about who Jesus is and, and where they're not in line in their understanding, in their belief, and in their walk with Jesus. That's our responsibility. Man, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Verse one, Paul says, and again, he's continuing this conversation um, about, you know, how it's Jesus Christ alone. And he's making examples from the Old Testament. Um, you remember he finished off in chapter three. Um, he says, if, you're, if you belong to Christ, this is 329, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, okay? So, you know, in the Old Testament, right, Abraham, it says in Genesis 15, 6, believe God, and that belief, you know, was credited to him as righteousness, meaning by his faith in the word of God, that he would have a son, and from that son, the, the Savior would come. He was made right with God by his faith, not by his works. By believing God, he was counted righteous, before God. You know, he was counted, you know, it was credited to him that he was righteous standing before God. And we're made right with God the same way. We're not made righteous by anything we do, but we're made righteous right before God by trusting in Jesus Christ, by believing the Bible, the word of God, the gospel, 
that Jesus came, lived a perfect life for us, died a perfect death for us, and rose from the dead. And that by trusting in him alone and the work he did at the cross and believing that, we're saved from our sin as Abraham was, right? Um, and so he says, you know, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, meaning we're, we're spiritual children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise, right? So we have an inheritance of eternal life based on the promise God made to Abraham that people of all nations will be blessed in having the same kind of faith that Abraham had in the coming Messiah, right? Now we have faith, not in the coming Messiah, but in the Messiah that has come. They looked forward to the coming of Christ. They look in Abraham's day, they looked forward to the cross. We look back to the cross since Jesus came and died and rose again 2,000 years ago. It's the same cross, the same Jesus that saves us all, right? So in verse 1, he says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Verse 2, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the, until the time set by his father. Verse three, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world, okay? So what Paul is saying here, it's interesting, and follow this now. What I am saying, as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. You could picture a, uh, an extremely wealthy family back 2,000 years ago, right? Uh, a mega wealthy family, and they had a son, and that son was gonna, you know, was going to... Um, you know, was going to inherit everything. Let's say he's five and six years old and there were servants or even slaves in the house and their job was to, was to raise up the child. And so although the child, right, will one day inherit everything that his father owns, at this time, he's no different from a slave. As a matter of fact, you know, he has a, a slave or a servant in the house that's that's over him and telling him what to do and, and raising him up and watching over him and guarding, you know, he's a guardian over the child, right? What I'm saying is that Paul says, as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. And so before we come to know Jesus Christ, okay, we're like children and we're still in slavery to the law. And he's going to explain what that means. Verse two, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So again, Paul's using a human example of that boy that we just talked about. He's subject to guardians and trustees, and they may, be, they may even be servants and slaves in the house, but he's subject to them because he's still a child. Verse three, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. So again, we, we are children. Paul's using this analogy that we are children until we come to understand that, that our salvation, that our relationship with God, that our deliverance from sin, that eternal life, that going to heaven depends on the grace of God and it comes by, by faith and trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us in our place and on our behalf at the cross. Before we come to that understanding, we are... Verse three, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. The world's principles when approaching God 
is a, is a principle that, you know, you're trying to live a good life. You're trying to do the best you can. Yeah, I know I do some wrong things. I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, I do some good things too. And I hope that, you know, when I get to heaven, God will kind of, you know, he'll see my bad, but he'll see my good. And I kind of hope the good outweighs the bad. I mean, after all, I never killed nobody, right? Um, and so these are the basic principles of the world, right? The world has this idea of, you know, of a works-based righteousness, that they're made right with God by doing a lot of good and hoping their good offsets the bad, okay? Um, every other religion in the world, beside true, genuine, biblical Christianity, has this kind of works-based righteousness, meaning they're, they're trying to be made right with God and go to heaven by living a good enough life, hopefully, in their mind, a good enough life to offset the wrong they've done in their life. And Paul is saying that that's, 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 that's a mentality of a child. That's a mentality of someone who's still in slavery, someone who's still under the law. Okay. Um, and we're going to explain what that means. Verse four, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons, okay? So the law was given, right? The law of Moses was given and the moral law was given, the law that just is our conscience, right? We all have a conscience and we have a, like a moral law written on our conscience. We just know, you know, right from wrong, right? We know intuitively that it's wrong to take or to steal, right? You know, we know right from wrong morally, but then there is the law that, that, uh, that God gave to Moses and the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments and the rules. And again, the law is a good thing. If we didn't have law, if God had not given us law, society would have just destroyed itself. There would be no civilization without law. So we need law to understand right from wrong, right? It's a good thing. But the, the other purpose of the law is to show us that we don't keep it, it to show us that we're imperfect, to show us that that we continually break the law. And because of that, you know, we cannot, we cannot uphold God's holy standard. The law is given to us to point us to our need of a savior, Corinne, right? So when you look at all the commandments, when you look at all the rules, you look at this and say, I, I can't do this. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I sin all the time. I need a savior. And now you have an understanding of your need and you see the purpose of God, the son, Jesus, becoming a man, living a perfect life for you, dying on the cross in your place, right? Um, being punished in your place, being judged in your place, right? All of this is what we deserved. So Jesus came, lived a perfect, righteous life, fulfilled the law perfectly, never sinned in thought, word, or deed. And when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that perfect righteous life Jesus lived is credited to us incredibly and all of our sin, past, present, and future is credited to Christ at the cross. That incredible exchange, right, Nathan, is the heart of the Christian gospel. And so Paul says, right, Rap, but when the time had fully come, right, so at the exact right time, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, into the world, right? Uh, you know, 2022 years ago, right? Uh, civilization was beginning to grow. There were roads connecting other countries. Commerce was, was traveling. And in the economy of God, 
uh, it says, but when the time had fully come, at the exact right time, God the Father sent God the Son into the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law. It's interesting it says born of a woman. Notice it doesn't say born of a man. Because Jesus wasn't born of a man, right? You know, God the Father was Jesus' father. God the Holy Spirit made Mary pregnant. Um, so certainly Jesus came from a woman, but he was not born of man, right? You see that? But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. So Jesus, again, is born under the law, right? But he kept it perfectly, perfectly. He obeyed every aspect of the law of God in thought, word, and deed perfectly. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law. To redeem means to purchase or to buy back, right? We were in slavery to sin. We were slaves. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And that by trusting in him, as I already said, you know, right, Peyton, that 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 perfect righteous life that Jesus lived would be credited to us and all of our sin past, present, and future would be credited to him. I mean, it's incredible. So we're redeemed. We're bought back from that sinful state that if we leave this life in that state, all that awaits us is eternity in hell, right? So Jesus, again, born under the law, fulfilled the law perfectly, and that by trusting in him, God the Father sees us like we perfectly fulfilled it, right? It's, it's incredible. To redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Paul introduces this incredible principle of being sons and daughters of our heavenly father through faith in Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a son or daughter of your heavenly father, of God the Father. Look how intimate it is that we might receive the full rights of sons. You are now no longer a slave and you're no longer a child, right? Because you've now come fully of age. You've received Christ. And now you're an actual full-grown son or daughter of God the Father. And then look at verse six. Because you are sons, and he means sons and daughters, God, spent, God sent the spirit, capital S, of his son into our hearts. So when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit, here called the Spirit of Jesus, comes to live inside of you, becomes one with your spirit, is joined to your spirit, and actually gives you new spiritual life, eternal life. Look at how incredible this is, Benny. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So, you know, we're like little Jesuses, right? We're not God, right? Jesus is God, but Jesus is fully man and fully God. But, you know, Jesus is God, the son, the son of God, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So 
the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes, live, comes and lives inside each and every believer. It's incredible. So in, in one manner, God sees us as his children in the same way that he sees Jesus. It's, it's this incredible relationship of intimacy. Now, again, it's important we understand we're, we're not altogether the same. Jesus is God, right? But the point is that we are sons of God, right? Um, you know, the Hebrew writer tells us that, you know, you know, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, right? Um, you know, because we're of the same family, right? Because you are sons, God, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. We were talking in Bible study yesterday. Do you call out to your father? You know, Abba here is would be the English word for daddy, right? Do you call out to your heavenly father and, and do you have an intimate relationship with your heavenly father, May? Do you say daddy, father, Abba, you know, whatever your concerns are, whatever your, 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 you know, your heart is, the spirit who calls out Abba, father, you have an intimate relationship now. God, the father is your heavenly father and and he wants to get to know you better. He wants to grow in intimacy with you. He wants to have ever deepening relationship with you. You also have relationship with Jesus Christ and he wants to have growing and intimate relationship with you. You have relationship with the Holy Spirit and he wants growing and intimate relationship with you. But again, if you, if you, if you don't have a lifestyle of praying to your heavenly father or calling out or crying out to him, begin to to talk to your heavenly father more and feel free to call him daddy or call him Abba or call him father, right? One of the, one of the great griefs is when I consistently hear people say, God, 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 God. Obviously, I mean, you know, we know who God is. Every religion has the word God, but in biblical Christianity, God, the father is your Abba, right, Jason? God, the father is 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 your heavenly father, right, Mandy? I mean, he's he's Abba, right? And so, you know, you you want to grow to know him as father, right? You know, Jesus, when when praying, always prayed in the gospel to his father. The only time he addressed his father as God was when he was hanging on the cross, and he and he wasn't experiencing that intimacy with with his father, with his Abba. So he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? All other times that he's addressing his father and he's talking to his father, he says, Father, and he says, Abba, right? So again, um, I would encourage us all to more and more begin to use the intimate names, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. I mean, use these names and it'll help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, right, Pop? It'll help you to grow your heavenly father more. Again, there's nothing wrong with using the word God, but we he's our father and you wanna grow in relationship with him. Just using the generic name God is fine, but it's like if you thought of your earthly mother or father, right? You probably didn't call them by their first name, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your mother's name was, you know, my mother's name is, is, is Lorraine, right? I, never do I call her Lorraine. Why not? My father's name is Keith, but I don't call him that. Why? Well, because I'm their son. 
And so it's special that I call her mom and him pop, right? So we have this special relationship, this special intimacy. It's the same with our God. Yes, he is your God, but he's your father. And so again, I would encourage us one and all to more and more just, you know, just grow to know your heavenly father, grow to know Jesus Christ, your Lord, grow to know the Holy Spirit and, and pray to all of them, right? We, we, we can pray to any member of the Trinity. You can praise and worship any member of the Trinity. We can be thankful to them all. And indeed, we ought to do all these things, right? We don't pray to any people alive or dead, okay? We don't worship any people alive or dead, um, you know, but any member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you can, you can and should pray to them all, praise them all, worship them all, thank, thank them all, right? Again, we have one God, but he's so, there's so much to him that, that, that he actually is three distinct persons, right? He's one God, and this mystery is hard to understand, but there's so much to him that he's actually represented in three distinct individual persons, okay? It's not, it, it's not one God manifesting himself in three ways. It's one God, but he's, he's actually three distinct individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, right? It's just, it's incredible. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir, okay? Um, so, you know, you're no longer a slave, meaning once you've given your life to Jesus Christ, no longer are you, a, you know, a child, no longer are you a slave, um, no longer are you under the law. The law has served its purpose in your life. It's convicted you that you're a sinner and that you need a savior and Christ is your only hope, Right? And now you're a son or daughter of God the Father. He's your heavenly Father. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You're an heir of eternal life, right? You're an heir of all the blessings that come, right? And one day you'll inherit heaven. You'll go to heaven. All of this is only in and through Jesus Christ. All of this comes only in receiving, trusting, relying, clinging to Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Verse eight, formerly when you did not know God, you were by, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Formerly when you did not know God. So before you became a Christian, you were slaves to though by, to those who by nature are not gods. Again, and this is just, again, you were just in slavery to the, to the principles of the world, the thoughts of the world, the ideas of the world, right? You were just led and I was just led by just, just completely worldly opinions, worldly thoughts, worldly whims, right? Um, and, and it's all man-made, right? Verse nine, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So again, they, these Galatians had given their life to Christ. They were trusting in Christ alone. And yet these, these religious leaders were coming in. And Paul is talking to the religious leaders and the people they're leading astray, right? He's saying, how are you, how after trusting in Christ alone, are you trying to turn back to the weak and miserable principle 
of trying to be made right with God in your own effort or, or trying to be made right with God by, by following the law or being circumcised or eating a certain diet or doing good works, right? How is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Again, do you want to go back into a place of slavery? You're enslaved because the law was never given to save you. It was given to convict you and point you to your need of a savior in Jesus Christ. You're enslaved because we can't do it. We cannot fully follow all the, 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 the rules and regulations of God. Only the God man, Jesus, could do that. And by trusting him, as I said, we're made right with God because we're credited with the righteous life that he walked. And all of our sin is put to him at the cross, right? So these Galatians, again, now we're being taught to, to add to the cross, to add to trusting in Christ. They were, they were trying to add their own good life, their own you know, Jewish traditions, their own circumcision. They were, they were beginning to trust in that and go back to that. So it was believing in Jesus and following all these rules. And, and, and Paul's saying these are miserable things compared to Christ. Why would you go back to them? It's interesting, you notice he said, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, right? Remember Jesus said uh, in Matthew 7, he said to, to the many away from me, I never knew you. It's important that we know God as our heavenly father. We know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We know God, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, but it's more important they know us, right? Remember when Jesus said again in Matthew 7, I never knew you. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God. So again, are you known by God? If you're in Jesus Christ today, then you are known by him. You're his son or daughter, right? Uh, if you're not in Jesus Christ, then you're not known by him. The word known here is just an intimate relationship with him, right? Do you have that intimate relationship with God the Father? Have you genuinely received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Verse 10. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, verse 11, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You hear that? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. There is no day that's more important than another. Okay. Some people who go to church on Sunday thinks, think that God is more pleased with them on Sunday than he is on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay. When it comes to, to walking with Christ, to being pleasing to God, um, it has nothing to do what day it is. Okay, you can go to church on a Tuesday, you can go to church on a Thursday, you can go to church on a Friday, you can go to church on a Sunday. Now, the reason we go to church on Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus was risen from the dead. But that in no way makes that Sunday more important. The resurrection of Jesus is, is, is as applicable every moment of every day for all eternity. Okay, so do not think that God is more pleased with you and certainly don't think it has anything to do with your salvation. Right. When you observe special days or months and seasons and years. Now, again, we have traditions and stuff. Right. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and we have Christmas and we have Thanksgiving holidays. Right. Um, we have Easter and, and all these things are traditions and those traditions are fine. But don't mistake that for some reason God is more pleased with you when you're worshiping him on Easter or on Christmas, right? You know, or when you're being thankful on Thanksgiving than any of the other 364 days a year, right? Um, these Galatians, again, were going back 
and observing special days and months and seasons and years and acting in certain ways on these days, believing that God was more pleased with them. Okay. And he says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you again. Uh, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes labor. And Paul had poured into these Galatians. I mean, he, he labored to teach them the truth of the gospel, which all of us ought to do, by the way. Certainly all of us as ministers and even as Christians, we ought to have, we ought to be putting in more and more effort, right? To teach, you know, any of those the Lord bring, brings into our circle, these principles. And Paul said, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Okay. Meaning I, I explain this to you over and over and over and over again. And yet here you are going back to just such a weak, miserable, uh, you know, uh, form of walking with God that cannot save you, that can only condemn you. Right. Verse 12, I, pl I plead with you, brothers. He's begging them. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. What is Paul saying here? I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Paul was a devout Jew, right? He had followed all the laws of Moses. He had followed circumcision. He had followed all the dietary laws as good as anyone probably could. And yet he... he he, he, he walked away from all of that, right? These Galatians are Gentiles, right? <clears throat> they didn't have any of the laws that followed. And Paul became like them in the sense that he took himself out from underneath all of that and, and now is trusting and believing in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of his sins, the salvation of his soul, to come to eternal life and go to heaven when he dies, right? So when he says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you, you know, become like I am now, okay? I'm not following any of those laws, for I became like you. I used to follow those laws, and I became like a Gentile who doesn't, who doesn't follow any of these things, right? Again, when Paul says, become like me, he's not saying, um, you know, that, you know, that we should point to him and not to Christ. But Paul is indeed saying that, you know, he wants you to follow his example, right? Um, and, and, and we ought to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, right? Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, right? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, right? Um, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So when Paul says, be like me, become like me, all of us as mature Christians ought to be able in some ways to point to others and have them see our belief and our lifestyle, and we ought to be able to say, become like me. Now, obviously, we ought not be arrogant or conceited in it, right? Um, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. What does he mean you've done me no wrong? He's saying, you know, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, he's, he's off put with them. He's not happy with them, but I'm not holding anything against you, right? I love you, he's telling them. You have done me no wrong. I'm not holding any wrongs against you. Verse 13, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. So this is interesting. Paul had not planned to go to Galatia, but apparently he received some illness. Some people think it was his eyes based on what he says here later in, uh, you know, verse uh, 15. Some people thought he had some kind of, you know, degenerative eye disease or you know, others think he just had a sickness. It could have been malaria. I mean, there were all kinds of diseases. I mean, what was the average lifespan? Around 35? 
He says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Again, this is interesting. He didn't plan to be there. He got sick. But what's interesting, since he was there, he shared the gospel. Okay. Uh, there are times in our lives, and it can happen almost daily, where we happen to be in situations that, didn't, that we didn't expect. You know, something comes up and we have to go to a place or go somewhere. How often do you think that, man, the reason this happened is Jesus has something for me here, right? And, and it can be as simple as you just, you know, saying to someone, can I pray for you? You know, is Jesus blessing you? Or just giving them a gospel tract, right? I mean, you can go to our website, kingdomd.org, right? We have all the gospel tracts there. They're all free. You can just, you know, you can just print them off and, you know, you can give them to people. You can leave them places. But because Paul, right, Becky, was, you know, had an illness, he ended up in this place he didn't expect to be. So his natural inclination was, well, the Lord must have allowed this illness or brought this illness so these people can hear the gospel. What would, what would it be like if we actually had that attitude that wherever the Lord has us, our mindset like this guy, Paul, this apostle Paul, is to bring Jesus wherever the Lord brings us, right? Verse 14, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. So again, Paul's reminding them that, you know, he was sick. He was weak. He didn't, you know, he didn't come into them strong and powerful and like a mighty man. You know, he was sick and they took care of him and they loved him, right? You didn't treat me with scorn or contempt or say, oh, he's weak. God, God must not be with him. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Verse 15, what has happened to all your joy? I can testify that. If you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And this is where some believe that the problem that Paul had was with his eyes, because he says, you know, if you could have done it, obviously there's no use in a, a torn out eyeball. Right. And so, um, you know, there's a possibility Paul is just using this as an example here or a metaphor just to to say, you know, you love me so much that you would have given me your eyes. Now, obviously, no one can tear out an eye and give it to another person. Um, so some think he's just using an example here. Others think that, that, you know, his illness had something to do with his eyes because he does say, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. But when he says, what has happened to all your joy? Again, um, as Christians, sometimes we start out, sometimes we receive the gospel, sometimes we get saved, and then we have just this tremendous joy, but then oftentimes it fades. And Paul's remembering back a time when they just had, they had joy. You have joy in your walk with Christ, right? Are you walking in joy? Are you, you know, do you bring joy, the joy of Christ where you go, right? Sometimes, again, it's, it's, it's easy to you know, just get caught up in the world and all our responsibilities. And we're just not, we're not, we're not joyful Christians. Right. And obviously we're not going to have joy if we're, if we're having to work to earn our salvation. Right. They used to have joy that Christ had done it all for them, that Jesus is my savior and Lord. But now when you put yourself back under rules and regulations and you try to work your way to Christ, right, May, you try to work your way to heaven, it just saps all of your joy. Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And again, um, 
you know, people often don't want to hear the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel of God, the truth of the son of God, the truth of the kingdom of God. But, you know, obviously it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Paul is not their enemy. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Meaning they had enjoyed hearing the truth. Oftentimes in Christianity today, it's uh, it's hard to be a minister. It's hard to be a Christian who's who's trying to teach the word of God and live according to the word of God and exhort people to do it because people don't want to hear it, right? Um, you know, Christians in churches, the majority of people in churches really don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the word of God taught in a way that that convicts us. But that's why we have it, y'all. I mean, the reason we have this Bible, right, is so that we would read it, that we'd be convicted by it, that we would believe what it said, and that we would live our lives according to it. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, your grace, your love in our lives, Father. Father, we thank you for your mercy we thank you, Lord, that you don't give us what our sins deserve. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for sending Jesus. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for willingly becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen and we worship you. Holy Spirit, help us not to ever turn back to some type of works-based righteousness. Help us, Holy Spirit. Protect Protect us from thinking that we can any way add to what Jesus has done. Protect us from thinking that we can earn our own salvation in any manner, in any way. And I ask you to, to help us to restore our joy in trusting in Jesus Christ alone and in living in him. Help us, Holy Spirit, to, to increasingly speak the truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.